Welcome <laughs> to the Scholar in the Hack. <laughs> what an introduction. Thank you for joining us. Wow. Um, if you're still with us, yeah. I've lost count. It's episode four, Sean. Oh, okay. Episode it's four. Episode four. <laughs> I really shouldn't have lost count. No, no, no. Okay. We haven't done that many. Okay. <laughs> it's episode four yeah. and um, we've had a lot of fun doing this. We have, we have. Um, a lot got, of laughs, a lot of tears. Yeah, absolutely. I'm learning things all yeah, the time. Me Thank too. Thank you, Scholar. Thank you, Hack. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, YouTube. <laughs> um, and to all of you out there that yep. are um, interested in the conversations that You're we've been having. You're engaging in the learning process and that's all that matters. We don't know no. everything on this, right? Like we know very little. I think that's where everybody listening goes, well, yes, that much is evident. <laughs> yeah, but what I think is great, like we're tackling topics that are not talked about a lot sure. in church circles necessarily. Um, and they sort of do bring up a lot of questions mm-hmm. um, about our faith in general. And today's no different. Yep. We're talking about suffering. Yeah, we're talking about what's the deal with suffering. And it's a huge topic, Sean. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is something that affects all human life, yep. right? If you are a human... Mm. You will suffer in this life, so it's it's a big topic. And uh, you mentioned before that it's uh, often a reason that people actually walk away from their faith. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's got to be up there with you know the biggest reason that people walk away from their faith is if you have a God that is loving, mm-hmm. and that's what we believe our God is loving and and He's generous and He's a good God. Why does He allow such suffering to occur yeah. on this planet? And we all know people that have gone through really terrible things. Yep. And, um, and it is a really good question. And so today we're going to be approaching that through the book of Job. Mm. Uh, very interesting. I'm sure we have different opinions <laughs> on the book of Job. So um, we're going to look at Job's life. We're going to look at the story. Yep. And, um, and then we're going to get into suffering. And, um, and yeah, we'll go from there. But let me throw it to you, Richard. Okay. Before we get into anything, I need to know this. You need one question answered. I need one question answered. There's one answer. question on your lips right now. I can see it. Is or was Job a fictional character? Right. Or was he an historical character in the Bible? Sure. Okay. So you're asking about the historicity? It's a simple question. <laughs> Will I get a simple answer? <laughs> no. Okay. No, look, I actually, I believe that... <clears throat> The Job that is revealed to us in the book of Job uh, was actually a real person, okay? Okay. Was a real person who did exist, was a righteous guy, and a lot of things happened to him. I do not believe, though, that what is reflected and what is recounted in the book of Job is a word-for-word historical depiction of what actually happened in his life. I believe that it's based off an historical event, but I do not believe necessarily in the historicity of what is being, uh, I guess, played out for us in the book of Job. I look at the book of Job as more of a thought experiment, more of a as it fits in with this this uh, genre of wisdom literature, which is a very broad genre, yeah. Uh, but I look at it very much in uh, that literary context. Okay. I still believe that there was a historical Job that it's based on all of those things, but I don't believe that the Book of Job uh, is a, a blow by blow account of a historical sort of. Uh, uh, I guess, event that occurred and the book of Job is recounting all of that. Okay. So let's, there's a lot in that. So let's mm. just try and break a few some syllables of that up. in there. Yeah, there's a few syllables in there. So, um, okay. So you said wisdom literature, yes. right? So that is, so what are the books included in the wisdom literature? Yeah, like Proverbs, you know, Ecclesiastes, a few other texts like that. Um, it, it's a very broad genre of wisdom literature. 
Okay. Like you know, proverbial sayings is very different to what we find in Job, for example. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, the way I've heard it described is, is Ecclesiastes is the theology of life um, and maybe pleasure, you could think as well. So sure. um, uh, Psalms is the theology of worship. Um, Song of Solomon's is the theology of love, mm. um, also included in the wisdom literature. Mm-hmm. Um, Proverbs is the theology of wisdom and Job is the theology of suffering. Sure. So let's start off with who wrote the book of Job. Mm-hmm. Who do you think wrote, how do you think, who, who wrote the book of Job? Simple was that? I don't think we know. Right. Yeah. I don't think we know who wrote the book of Job. Remember authorship in the ancient world was very different, uh, to what we consider now. Yeah. Having said that, uh, Obviously, it's an oral culture, and that's how they primarily do things. The Book of Job, actually, though, is considered quite a fantastic piece of literature, like very sophisticated, quite well-developed mm. in how it's uh, actually written and composed as well. And composition's maybe not something we think of, particularly when it comes to uh, books of the Bible or scripture, uh, but it's actually a fantastic piece of uh, literature and how it's all woven together. And it, I think there are even clues in there that support my argument of looking at it as a, a piece of literature that has been uh, developed, such as, I guess, how the friends speak and their their uh, their style of language and how they speak to Job and then the responses and all of the dialogue section, mm. all of that stuff, even the prologue, epilogue, all of those different kind of things that would lead towards uh, that understanding of it being that type of li- literary genre. Okay, so would you would is, is it fair to say you think that Job is based on a true story? Yeah, I loose. <laughs> Not, not even loosely speaking. Yeah, I would believe that there was a figure called Job, but this isn't a, a recount event, if you like, that you might expect from a, a historical account of something. Okay, so for example, um, and always the question that I have, it yes. seems, every single episode with you. Yeah. Okay, what are the details that are accurate Sure. And what are the details that would you separate from this actually happened to maybe this happened? Yeah, I, I guess this is where like we, this is always our stumbling block, right? Because when it comes down to what is accurate or not, or like what is true or not, the book of Job is true in terms of the claims it makes is true. My, having said that, what the friends are saying in the book of Job is not true. It's not like what they are saying should be authoritative because they're oh. making false statements. However, it, when it comes to... Are you talking about what is true in terms of what actually happened? Yeah. So when you say it's based on a true story, for example, but then there are details or there's areas of this story that you don't think happened the way it says that it happened. What are those, what are the areas that you would put in the category of, okay, I'm not sure this actually happened this way. To this extent, the whole book. Okay. All right. Let's, let's get into that. (laughs) So, all right. So let me, let me, let me, okay. Let's, let's try and get to some details here. So, When do you, you said that you think Job was a literal person? Mm. Okay. When did Job exist sort of chronologically? Speaking? Yeah. yeah. Look, when do you think? Yeah. Okay. So I imagine you've probably got some idea of relating it to a figure and his name is Jobab or something like that. I'm imagine you're about to. No, 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 no. You're no. not going into Jobab. <laughs> you've I never heard of Jobab. Jobab. I have never heard of Jobab. L- let's leave Jobab because like, I don't want to. <laughs> no, tell us I, what Jobab is. No, there was a, there's just a, a figure that people might associate that this could have been. Oh, Look, okay, it, right. in terms of, uh, what we know about Job is uh, they would suggest that Job actually wasn't an Israelite. Uh, right. Yeah, in terms of, it says from the land of Uz, which people make connections with being Edom, all right? 
so it, that is, it's, and even the, the other names of the friends and stuff, it's from a different region. So are we talking sort of... In terms of time period. Time period? Yeah, people might suggest that it is, uh, I guess... Well, I mean, because before Covenant, has, t- there's no mention of Covenant in the book. Some people might suggest that. However, others would suggest that the book of Job is actually written at a later date, but it's written about in, in, in a different time frame. So it's written at a later date about a different time frame. So writing from an earlier period. Okay, so you said not an Israelite. So, that's, yep. so we're talking before Abraham? <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So Pre-Covenant. So it would have been post-Noah... Theoretically, I mean, this is this yeah. is kind of where I think it it sits. It sits. Yeah. It's kind of after Noah, before Abraham, because there isn't any mention of Israelites or yep. or, or anything like that. So that's where I mean, that's where <laughs> I think it. There, there isn't mention of Israelites, but also there are some very Israelite ideas in there about who Yahweh is, things like that, right? And about him being worshipped because he is God not for what he does. So there's some very Israelite ideas, which is why people lead towards maybe it was written at a later date about a time period that was much earlier kind of thing, if that makes sense. So there is nothing explicitly mentioned Mm. about Israelite thought in there or Israelites as a whole or covenant as a whole, but there's some Israelite thinking in there that was specific to Israelite thought in the ancient Near East. That thinking just wasn't prevalent elsewhere. Okay. If that makes sense. So... And so this is this is the kind of problem I have with with, with me. What you, with <laughs> what this described. is the kind of problem I have with you. Scholar. No, no, no. And I wanna, I wanna, you I'm wanna trying to, because I honestly, there's a lot of questions. Like yeah. reading this book, just it's a wild out, text. It's, it really there's is. really like a lot of questions with it, and it's like it's it, you're in at some points you're in heaven, right? We're in the literally in the throne room of heaven, and then you you know for the majority of the time we're on earth, it's really unclear who's writing. This who's writing this account? Mm-hmm. So, so who's what your, your parts? Okay. So, so, so this would be my question, and maybe you can, if you want to ask me, go ahead. Yep. But my question to you would be, okay, so what parts of this? If Job is because you know how I read this, it it, it is what it says. It is what it says, and it yeah. says what it means, yeah. right? It's a pretty simplistic way of looking at it. Yeah. I read the book of Job, and I look at it as. I look at it as, okay, because it's described, even the way the book starts, it starts very sort of familiar with other accounts in scripture. So um, I wouldn't make any confident statements on whether I believe this is historic or whether it, um, yep. or whether it's fiction. In fact, no, I would say that it is historic, that yep. this is a historic event that uh, happened. Uh, you're making connections with like the patriarchal narratives where it says this is the account of and then launches into that with the prologue of Job. Yes, yeah. correct. And and just like we see it through other times in scripture. So for example, uh, what's the evidence this is a real story? So the way the book opens is there was there was once a man in the land of Uz named Job. The Wizard of Uz. Oz. Uz. <laughs> Uz. 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 Um, Uz. If you compare that to, for example, Judges 17 verse 1, and there was a man of Mount Ephraim, whose name was Micah or first Samuel, the book of the first Samuel. Yep. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim, uh, Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. So you're comparing that to other texts sure. in scripture yep. that are historically accurate. Yep. Or we would, the reader would deem from that. Okay. This was a real person. This is someone whose name was revealed. Yep. Um, we've got, I think the obvious reading of that would be that this is a real person, right? Okay. Um, add I mean, on to I mean, that. I mean, 
Oh, I'll yep, yeah, no, 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 before you continue. It's, I would also say that there are other texts from the time that start in a similar manner, and that's how texts started, both ones that we would view as to be historic and ones that weren't considered that way as well. But yeah. Okay, so where would where would you have where would you have you know an example in scripture where names are given to people, but and which is consistent with the book of Job, right? So you obviously know Job. We know his friends. We know his daughter's name, for example, right mm-hmm. at the end of the book. They're named. Where they live is named. Where, where else would you see that in Scripture where it is not talking about a historic event? Yeah, I mean, you see it like obviously with uh, some of Jesus' parables in terms of the specificity about a region that that person is from. So uh, just so no, just yeah, to yeah. interrupt. So with the parables, so yeah. in the parables, famously Jesus never uses names. Yeah. Right. So I'm not talking about obviously parables, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is a different category. I'm talking well, about different genre. You would different suggest. genre, right? No. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a sto- It's an obvious story because yeah. there are no characters, right? Yeah. I'm talking about specific parts of scripture that, where people are named. Yeah. That that account in itself is mm-hmm. not an account that actually happened. It's a um, metaphorical story to deliver a real moral truth. Yep. Where else would you see that in scripture? Off the top of my head, not not too sure. Maybe Jonah. So, so but then it would depend on your approach to Jonah. <laughs> so then doesn't that... Um... <laughs> this guy doesn't believe the Bible at all. <laughs> Are you getting it, listeners? Uh... Are we so slowly getting it? So, so that, that's honestly, that's a big one, right? Because I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I could fair. be wrong. That's fair. I honestly could be wrong, but I don't think I can... I can't think of any part in scripture where you're naming someone, but that person didn't actually exist. I understand for parables, right? Yeah, well, I, I didn't say it didn't exist. Okay, but... I'm saying this, this isn't exactly how it took place. Okay, so so what... How do you think it actually took place? I don't know. Right. I'm, I, I would suggest that the book of Job <clears throat> was never intended to be a historical account of what happened in this man's life, okay? Could it be a historical account? That could be one way of reading it, yes. I don't believe it is, and I believe that here even more so than when we looked at uh, like the flood, for example, there are greater clues actually within the text itself in terms of the style it's written, in terms of how it all takes place, that would lead me to be, there's just no way that this is a blow-by-blow account of this story, like these dense dialogues that appear uh, in the book of Job uh, between these friends and how it all takes place, the, the setting of the prologue, this conclusion of an epilogue, the interjection of, of Yahweh at the end. Um, yeah, that's... Okay, okay. And, just, and just to get to really crystallise into this point of view, so are you saying you don't think it happened that way or you don't know that it did happen that way? I believe that the book of Job... Job. <laughs> Job. <laughs> that was his actual name. Um, no, I believe that the book of Job is a literary construct, that it is not a, it's a thought experiment. It's a wisdom literature. It's not a historical recap of that event. But it's using this idea to actually unpack a key theme. And that theme essentially is really trying to, and to be honest, the book's less about Job and it's more about God. Because mm-hmm. all the questions are being posed and they're questions literally about God's justice and is God's justice just? How do people, how do people think of that and how, how does that sit with us and the questions that we have, especially when it comes to suffering? And so that's how I approach the book of Job rather than looking at it from that historicity perspective. 
Okay. Okay. I would just point out that I think what is unhealthy potentially about that <laughs> is that you're sort of being the you're determining yep. it's a self-determining um way of reading scripture i that, would say exactly the same to your view but no but but my view is just i'm reading it as it i'm reading it as it's meant like that, if I, yeah but that goes from the understanding that the way you're reading it now is how they read it then so we're both making a presupposition my presupposition is the way that I would read it naturally now from that base level is not how they would have read it in the ancient world. Whereas your presupposition is it, it, how you read it now, however many thousand years removed, culturally removed, language removed, all of those things that you are reading exactly the same as they would have read it then. So we're both making, we're both coming in with thoughts there, right? So I would just say, I I'm don't unhealthy. know. <laughs> I don't know how they would have read it. Yep. I'm just, I'm just judging off the way that I, judging of what I, what words I'm reading. Sure. Reading the story the way it's laid out for me today, yep. I would just, I would go, okay, cool. That's the way it happened. My, this is what my concern would be, right? Is that you're going, this didn't really happen, or these these people weren't really. It didn't really happen this way. And that mindset, right? Because I, we can still gleam the moral truth out of the book, right? Yeah. But my concern is, okay, at what point do you say this happened and this didn't happen? And maybe you're saying, well, we, we just don't know how they, we yeah. don't know how they read it. I think you're misunderstanding my point there though. Please because, clarify it. Yeah. But- <laughs> <laughs> nice passive aggressive rebuttal. <laughs> Haven't had enough of that. It's because I'm, I'm not saying that how the book of Job is taking place is, is, uh, like not how we should read it. I'm reading the book of Job for what it is. Okay. We, we don't have any examples of the, the life of Job outside of this. So I, I approach this text, but approach it from the perspective of, I don't uh, believe that it's speaking of, and what is important in the book of Job is actually the life of Job and uh, the historicity of it, all of those things. Mm. I think it's something much bigger is going on in Job. Some, something much more important that speaks to this idea of when we suffer as humans, mm. we have questions mm. and our question is why mm-hmm. our question is, why is this taking place? And what the book of Job teaches us is that our question that we all ask when any human in the world has gone through suffering, we ask why the book of Job actually teaches us that that is the wrong question to ask that why yes. is not the right question. Okay. So let's, let's get into that. Yeah. So the book starts with um, Job, the righteous, a really righteous figure just, just portrait. Good dude, right? He, from the land of Uz. Honestly, he seems like like he was perfect, right? And yep. literally, that's what it, kind of what it says. He was just yep. there was no fault in him, right? And then you have this scene, this bizarre scene mm-hmm. where they're in the courtroom of heaven, mm-hmm. and the Satan appears. The Satan, thank you. And. Um, and obviously God says, okay, where do you come from? And yep. he says, I come from roaming to and fro on the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because like, what stands out to me there is that God pointed Job out. Satan yep. wasn't necessarily like honed in on Job. God said, hey, look at that guy. He is perfect. He's blameless. Yeah. And then Satan says... Um, or the Satan says, um, he only serves you because mm-hmm. you do good for him. Essentially. Yeah. You, you look after him. Yep. He's like, all right, well take everything away from him. Then it, it, this is where the whole idea of 
I, whether it's historical or not, I think is important to me. Because right. not only then are we talking about the significance in this is not only we are talking about then whether Job actually lived, he was a dude, all of those things, but now it's letting us in, inform our theology on God and our understanding now for some people on Satan or whatever in this passage. Now, in, in the Hebrew, it's mm-hmm. actually Has Satan, which is the essentially if we could translate it the adversary the the challenger sure it's a verb and a noun in a sense and this same word is actually used elsewhere in old testament scripture not to refer to what we would classify as satan okay the devil all of that stuff yeah it's at it's at times like it's it's not a a proper noun like it's not someone's name it's 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 more of a role um, at times we see kings challenge Solomon and they are referred to as the same thing. Uh, we see it in a court setting when someone challenges someone used there as well. We even see the angel of the Lord take up this role as Hasatan as being someone who opposes um, Balaam in, in the book of Numbers. So that's where I think when people, and we put it in there with a capital letter, Satan in here, and so people think, well, this is how God and Satan work. Mm. And this is a, and I think to be honest, we'll get into it when we talk about yeah. Satan as a whole and, and even all that stuff, yeah. is I think our understanding of Satan is more informed by like, well, medieval history, <laughs> yeah. more informed by Greek and Roman thought and more informed by the Simpsons than anything else. Yeah. And that's emojis what we as think. well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what yeah. it looks like. He's yeah, got that's close enough. Yeah, I think that's more informs our understanding than actually scripture. And we read that into scripture whenever mm-hmm. we read this. And in particular in Job, it's actually not stating that at all. It's talking about this adversary in this, uh, particularly if you look at the Hebrew there. Okay. So are you saying there that um, we're not talking about a character? We're not really talking about Satan as Satan is this character that did one day go into heaven. How did mm-hmm. Satan get into heaven? Yep. To get into God's yeah, throne room? That's... From the Hebrew, that's not what has been uh, told in Job. Okay, so it's more of an illusion. Is this what you're saying? It's more of an illusion to... Well, I mean, even in the thing here, he's actually doing God's bidding, right? Yeah. And so it's this this adversary, this challenger, who is actually doing what God is having him do. So is this, like, who would we refer to as Satan here, or is this something else? And I don't believe that this is a definitive account about what we should inform our understanding of this idea of satanic influence, Satan, all of that stuff. I don't think that's what this account actually speaks to. So, so then, so I mean, I just go back to the the conversation it seems that God and Satan mm-hmm. are having, right? Because I yep. think that's what really points to will help inform our understanding, I guess, of what's going on here. Yeah. And so the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Job has good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his prosperity. It sounds like they're having a conversation, mm-hmm. right? So it's not just God talking with, assumably himself. If you're saying, okay, well, this is God's bidding. Mm-hmm. There is... There is a dialogue happening here. You've made him prosper in everything that he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has and surely he will curse you to your face. And then God says, all right, you may test him. The Lord said to Satan, um, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's yeah. presence. And so we can pause it there because yeah. later on it comes back and then it's like the second time round. All right, like, we okay. took out the possessions but didn't touch hair on his head or whatever. Now then all of a sudden his body is also okay. affected there. But within that, 
it's actually not clear from the Hebrew. It's, it's not talking about this Satan figure here. And I think we read that back into it. I think what's been presented here is just a literary sort of construct or device that sets the scene mm. really about, well, it's speaking about Job. So first and foremost, Job is righteous and it goes right to the extreme end of it, right? Job is so righteous, like this guy does nothing wrong kind of thing. Right, he even sa- does sacrifices for his kids in case they have cursed, yeah. you know, God. He, like yeah. this guy is yeah. good, 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 yeah, good. Yeah, very there good. is nothing about him that he has done nothing wrong. He is blameless, which is hard to accounts. really hard to think about, well, isn't it? That's why, like this whole thing, I approach from that perspective. Like it's been pointed to the extreme, and so the question comes back from the uh, adversary, from the challenger, that says, "Well, I mean, like no wonder why he would." worship you no wonder why you would think he is righteous look at how prosperous he is look at how much you have provided for him Mm. look at how good his life is yeah and so really what it's sort of leading up is to this question that why do people worship god do they worship god because he blesses them because he gives them good things what's their motive for worshiping god Mm. and this is really important in the context of the ancient near east because this is when i spoke about israelite thought being present in this book even though covenant's not mentioned all of those things the worship of Yahweh was the so distinct from the perspective that they worshipped God because he was the one true God. Right. Before and above anything else, he was the one true God. And he was worthy of worship just because of that. Mm-hmm. Not because he was provider, say, before all of those things, he was the one true God. Whereas every single other deity in the known world at this time, they would worship them because of what they received from the gods. So you would worship, all right, we'll water your crops. You know, everything, you would do a sacrifice so that good things would come your way, so that blessings would come your way. It wasn't so in worship of Yahweh. Now, having said that, there was this sort of understanding of, I guess, um, you know, obviously we see sacrifices take place and all of those things. And part of that's relating to holiness and all this stuff as well. And even calling down blessings at in different times there. But primarily the distinction between these religions were, was that it wasn't contingent upon the good things coming from God. Mm-hmm. And so the account and the challenge there is pretty much, well, they only worship you because of good things happening to them. So take that away. And even like he says, all right, take away the possessions which was the very ancient Aries thinking. And all the friends come up with that and they say, well, Job, just admit that you had secret sin and everything will come back to you. You'll get everything back mm. because that's what the mindset is, right? Mm. It's, it's about those things where it just, I mean, that's how I view this as this big thought experiment. That's what's been attacked here. And really it's also been attacked as this idea of um, uh, retribution uh, justice or recompense uh, justice and theology, which is essentially... If you are good, you will be blessed. And if you are bad, you will be cursed, Mm -hmm. which is kind of what this book is speaking against. Because in Job's story, that just doesn't line up because the whole account is that he was good Mm. and bad things happened. Mm -hmm. And so the whole sort of book is trying to sort of densely sort of struggle through this idea of human suffering and is suffering in this world contingent on whether we are good or bad. And does God administer that depending on whether we are good and bad? And the human question through it all is wanting to know why God, why is this taking place? Mm. But uh, I would suggest that the book of Job doesn't actually answer that question. It points us into a different direction. Yeah, well, God certainly doesn't answer that question no. at, at, one, at any point in the no. book. He doesn't explain why no. this happened. No. Um, but we do find out what happens in the end in this story. So, so we see 
that the enemy is just allowed to go or the Satan is allowed to go. And I think they send, um, an army to get the flock essentially. Yes. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different things. There's like, yeah, there's natural disasters. There's people who come through and, and act in. So it's like the whole range of bad things that could happen in a sense. So, but we also see in, in scripture that, um, the enemy comes to kill, steal and destroy. Right. So that's consistent with Satan in the rest of scriptures. Sure. So, um, so that would be consistent with the character that's being portrayed in this book as if it was a literal, Um, character um, that would be interesting then if you let that inform your way about Satan doing God's bidding and those things if you took it as that that's a very interesting way of viewing the relationship there isn't it so I mean the way I look at it is okay Satan is the ruler of this earth essentially I mean Satan does have control over the things like the elements which is what happens in this story Satan. So where is all this understanding coming from though? Is this informed by Job and Job alone? No, not just from Job alone, but it's just when I guess, so you've got scriptures that talk about Satan being the ruler of this world, right? So Satan's in the, in the throne room with God. He's sent down to earth. He gets rid of Job's kids. Essentially he blows, I think it's like a storm or whatever. He sends a storm, the roof caves in and kills all of Job's kids. Okay. Do I think God did that? Or do I think Satan did that? And God gave him control to do that. God <laughs> permitted it to happen. Permitted. Yeah. So it's not that God did that. He permitted those things to, to occur. I mean, there's a whole can of worms being opened there in terms of then does God permit when it, all suffering and evil takes place, does God permit it? Or is it just the way that this world has been created? Well, I mean, it's, 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 it's a huge sort of question that we're diving into there when we're thinking about God's control and sovereignty and all of those things. And this is the only book that touches on that, right? I mean, when you could talk about the, um, the Israelite conquest of Canaan, you could, you know, look at a whole bunch of different, uh, you know, the Exodus account where we see, uh, they're given sort of divine, uh, responsibility or attribution to actions that would see what we would call bad things taking place. Okay. So, so, but you've got Heaps of accounts. Okay, for example, we're talking about, let's say, the Exodus. Mm-hmm. And you've got the terrible things that are happening to the children of Israel, right? So they're disobedient and mm-hmm. God sends judgment on them, right? So God can send judgment, mm-hmm. but then you also have accounts with the Israelites where they're attacked by an army. Mm-hmm. And so is that, I mean, I don't know, is that... It's strange because you even see in the prophetic literature in the Old Testament, you see prophets at time like uh, speaking on behalf of God saying that he will use, you know, the Assyrians, they will be my whip, um, you know, to punish Israel for the sins. And so you've got this whole idea of, and it it is very interesting. I think that question of like, we think of this God, right, Mm. who creates this world and then at times it's like we say, oh, look at how he, he gets his hands dirty and he acts within this world. And we've got this sort of tension there where sometimes it's like, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing something to stop what is going on here? This is bad. And you see like Habakkuk, for example, he's just like, God, flip and do something. Evil Mm. is happening. Why Mm. don't you do something? And then on the other side, it's just like, well, hold on a second. If God does get his hands dirty, the same question is, whoa, wait a minute. Is who, what sort of sovereignty sort of thing is, is going on here? Who is this God who is now? I thought, are you a dictator or are you someone who allows us free will? Like you've got this whole thing that opens so, up. So right? let's 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 try and get to the bottom of it. Okay. Oh, I'm sure when we'll do that. Bottom, when there are <laughs> bad things that happen in this world, yes, is it God or is it Satan? That's a huge question. I think, so 
there, there are some things, right, where we recognize we live in a fallen world. And as a result of that, we are going to see that fallenness take place in our actions. Yes, correct. So we'll do stuff that will hurt other people, will cause suffering. Yes, we'll do stuff to ourselves that will cause suffering. There's also things like if we think of the fallen world, like I think of like natural disasters. If a natural disaster occurs in a place where nobody lives, we don't blink an eyelid. Mm. If it occurs where a place that is um, inhabited by people, Mm -hmm. we call that terrible and suffering. And so obviously we'd make that because of the sanctity of human life, all of those things. Uh, But that's just the world being how the world is. So sometimes we see, obviously, suffering take place of our own sin. Sometimes it's like just the state that we live in this fallen world. Other times you might think of, I mean, people are very quick to say, look how the enemy's, what he's doing in my life. Mm -hmm. Is that an approach you would have where you would maybe definitely point to any suffering or bad things, the work of the enemy? No, I think that there's definitely consequences for people making bad decisions or sinning. Natural consequences or divine consequences? No, there's naturalistic con- consequences. Yes, right? But there's also, yeah, so there's definitely that. But there's also, I don't know, like th- my my viewpoint is that God doesn't do anything. God doesn't do anything. <laughs> Pause it there. God doesn't kill people. Okay. He but doesn't. Then, but you've but been calling like, him to then, smite me for the last three weeks. <laughs> Okay, but then that isn't true because God sent the angel of death in the, to the Israelites, uh, well, to the Egyptians, right? Anyone I mean, who didn't not, have the pass, yeah. anyone who didn't have the Passover blood on the doorposts, God sent an angel of death. But did God do that? Well, did God send the angel of death? Did the angel of death do that? Look, I don't know. It's, it's difficult questions, right? How can a good God? And I think at the end of the day, the Bible doesn't actually give us clear answers why. Yeah, what what it does say in, in 38, 39, when you hear God's response to mm-hmm. all of Job's uh, complaining to, it sounds, obviously it's a terrible mm-hmm. situation, is were you there when I created the world? Were yeah. you there when... Um, it's a bit of a smackdown essentially about who God actually is. Yeah. And it almost sets because Job is in his mind. He's just, I haven't done anything wrong, but it sort of leads to almost a bit of a self-righteousness sort of thing. Mm. Um, and essentially the response of God is he speaks of who he is and really God doesn't answer the question with the answer the why question because what we want is knowledge Mm -hmm. we want to understand why but what God actually asks us and invites us to do is to trust in his wisdom Mm -hmm. that we can not understand why Mm -hmm. we can not have the knowledge why Mm. but we can still trust in his wisdom that he knows what he's doing and that his justice is just yeah and I think I think trying to answer that question sometimes is is, is the wrong. Yeah, it's it's the wrong perspective. We shouldn't be trying to understand why we see pain and suffering in this world because it's just something that we probably won't know this side of eternity, right? At the end of the day, Job had a repentant heart. Job, at the very end of it, he was like, "I saw you. I I, I heard your voice, but now I see you." And I repent because I'm I'm not worthy, right? So, sure. so that was his response to the suffering that he mm-hmm. experienced. Was that okay? I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. You didn't give me a reason why this happened to me, but you are a holy God, and you were there before everything. And and yeah. I'm not going to understand it. So I just repent. I mean, that's the thing, right? The sad reality is that suffering is an unescapable reality of this world that we live in. Mm. And if you're human, you're going to suffer. And I hate that. Mm. And there's good reason why we should be screaming out to God why sometimes because it's painful, right? 
But at the same time, like we don't question sometimes like why did my arm break when I fall over? We just understand that it's a reality of living in this world. Mm. In the same sense, the fact that our bodies are not perfect, that's a reality of living in this world. The, mm. the why people would act in sinful ways, well, that's a reality of living in this world. Unfortunate reality. It doesn't make it any less painful. In fact, it's horrible. Um, I actually think that whole idea about that, you know, uh, serving um, God because he blesses us is quite an interesting one, particularly when you think of like prosperity gospel, all those mm, kind of mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's maybe a bit of a stretch to bring it into this different time period, mm. but this idea of how we can be so quick to expect and want God to give us everything we want yeah. and to have our lives go exactly as the way we want them. Now, I, it's a very normal human thing. Yeah, I hate when my life doesn't go the way I want it. I yeah. hate when I experience pain and suffering. It, yeah. It's terrible. It's hurtful. Yeah. Like, we've got feelings. Life can be crap sometimes. It's painful. It's, it, it's, it's harsh. I think, though, the other reality and the flip side of it is that we can land ourselves feeling really just disenfranchised, disengaged, and disillusioned if we expect that um, God will always deliver us the best outcome. Mm. God will always provide in every single way to the way that we expected, mm. to the way that we wanted. Uh, that's actually not a biblical account of the way that human life works. It's not the way Job went. That's no, for sure. no. I'm Paul's life. Like mm. you look at all of these uh, characters throughout scripture. And if you look at thought, and I think sometimes we can go a little bit too much that way, particularly maybe in Pentecostal circles, the name and claim it sort of, mm. you know, prosperity type thinking of mm-hmm. just like you say it, you'll get it kind of thing yeah, with yeah, regards yeah. to finance, even regards to like healing and things like that. It's, I think yeah. we can be careful because then it's like, all right, the flip side. Well, if that didn't come to pass, was it something wrong with me mm. or was it hidden sin in me, which we see in the Job account? Yeah. Like it's, it's not how it works. Yeah. Was it, you know, like, was it the fact that I didn't have enough faith, which can be a real slippery slope to sort of go down. All of a sudden we're talking about tears of faith and we're making that point of, well, that person didn't get their breakthrough because I've heard people mention that uh, people died because they didn't have enough faith to have themselves healed. Mm. Well, that's a fantastic statement and a lot of comfort to everybody in the situation. <laughs> like, you get what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just, um, I, it, I, it's, it's, I, I can find those thoughts not only just unhelpful, but just a load of trash at times. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's also, I, I sometimes think that, you know, tragedies that happen in our life, or like, for example, losing a job, mm-hmm. um, things not going your way, not getting a promotion. I think some of those things help point us back to God. Um, because if our life was just, if we just got it, the way we wanted it all the time and we didn't want for anything, then what would be our need for a savior? Essentially, mm-hmm. we wouldn't need God to do anything for us. Yeah. And so I think suffering, at least in my life, when, when things have gone really bad and when we've been in a real tough position, it's always brought me closer to God because I, I know that I've needed it. And some you of the times... You understand that, that he's there through it. And he's even there in the times where you wanted to push him out and you were going your own path. Yeah. Like even in the midst of all of our suffering, both that we've created ourselves and that is just a part of unfair stuff that happens in this world, he is still there in the midst of it. And he'll walk through us in our suffering. Yeah. It's not that he will take away all suffering. I think we get that wrong when we share about, you know, Mm. it's like come to Jesus, the best life, easiest life you'll ever live. Yeah. Like rubbish. Like it can be Rejoke. really difficult. You'll still, yeah, you'll still yeah. suffer, you know. Yeah. So, do, so coming back to this, this whole Satan thing, right? So, <laughs> you've been just <laughs> stewing over this, okay. looking through your notes. No. Yes. So, okay. So Satan. So you're saying that 
I mean, do you believe that Satan is a character, like a real? There's a there in is the a, book of Job or in general. In general, is there a Satan? Is there an accuser? Is there is there a guy? Yes, there is. Yes. Okay. So you believe in a in a character of Satan? Yes. So so why do you find it difficult to believe that there was a conversation that happened in heaven? Because about this? it's the Hebrew word is. Uh, it's the accuser. It's another name for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, why is that? Well, no, an, another name for him. It's it's being used there, and we see that word used interchangeably with regards to people, the angel of the Lord, at different times as well. So that's not a hard and fast argument to say it's just another name for him. We attribute it as another name for him because we got no other explanation on it. No, yeah. I, I agree that there is this satanic sort of figure who might be the. But this is this is one of those things where I also have to understand is just like. What informs my thinking here? I've always just known and believed that because that's what I was told when I was younger. But that's what is, scrip- yeah. Does scripture say it to that concrete point of, is the picture that I have in my mind now what scripture says or is the picture I have in my mind also 95% informed by my upbringing and what I've been told rather than being found in scripture? Because I think a lot of the, pa- the reason why I think it's important is because a lot of the passages we use to talk about Satan are probably actually not ones that give a good concrete depiction about Satan. Well, there's not just one description of Satan in the Bible. There's lots of different context uh, of Satan in the Bible. To, and when we do our topic on Satan, we might bring all of those passages into question as well. I understand. Well. He's, he's, he's the main, he's a big character in this story though. Yes. For, so from that sense, it, it's, that's what, where I think it's worth yeah, bringing yeah. up Unpacking, because, because yeah. I think like, okay, so from my reading of it, okay, there's a Satan, God permitted him, but it wasn't God doing the, God didn't kill Job's kids. Mm-hmm. He allowed for Satan to take away his possessions and for Satan to send um, a winter to destroy the kids' house, the house that the kids were in, and they died, right? So there was a character that did that. Sounds like a good God, doesn't it? No, but I mean, it sounds like a bad Satan in your opinion. <laughs> at the end, if you look at, you can't make that judgment by just looking at that point in the story. Yes. You have to look at the story in the whole, right? And mm-hmm. so what what happens with the last chapter of Job? God gives him ten more children, seven sons, three daughters. Um, he gives him double what he had before. Yep. So obviously if we just make an assumption one chapter into the book that, you know, we're going to go, oh, God sounds like a terrible guy, mm-hmm. right? But we see that God is faithful in the end, right? So I would just, so I look at it, I think that's the way would I Would you say at, God was faithful even if Job didn't get everything back and then some? God's faithful regardless, regardless of, right? Yeah. Whether he gets it back or not. But, but all I'm just saying that there is that detail is in the story, right? He mm-hmm. does get everything back. And then some. And then some, right? So so God's really faithful with him. And, you know, Job apparently didn't sin throughout the whole thing. He didn't sin in blaming God. That's what it says. He didn't sin in blaming God for all the terrible things that yeah, happened to him. The only thing was just a wrong understanding or a wrong questioning. Blaming God. So, if, are you? So, are you saying that? Would you? Are you saying that? So, because I'm saying that the enemy took this all the stuff away from him. God permitted it to happen. So, yeah. in the same way, if you know, if you, if you have a child and the child dies mm-hmm. um, because it gets sick, it gets cancer, whatever, I would attribute that obviously to Satan, or I would attribute attribute to that to the world. enemy or the yeah. fallen world. Yeah, exactly. I'd attribute it to that. God is still faithful, and while God could have stopped it. Because God can do anything, He doesn't intervene in in absolutely everything in that way. So sure. that's that's the way I read that story. It's like yeah, yeah, God okay. could have stopped Job's kids from being. Well, I'm, I think there's a premise in there that's correct. I just don't necessarily think that 
I mean, this Jobacan and this discussion at the start is the best place to get that understanding. Mm. I don't have any issues with the premise, mm. right? It's this um, idea of it's just the reality of the world that we live in, mm-hmm. that those things occur, right? I mean, it's like this has been an age-old question. This is nothing new. Like they were thinking this all throughout the ages is the idea of like, you know, God either wishes to take these evils away or is unable or he is able and is unwilling. And so like, you know, how do we deal with this thing? Yeah. And we're just not given concrete answers. Mm. All we're given is this idea is to trust in God's wisdom, mm. even without knowledge of these things. Yeah. Because we're speaking about these. And do we view it as contradictions or do we view it as we are always just going to have a flawed understanding of God mm. because we are flawed in who we are and we're human beings talking about a divine reality. And so our picture of a good God, even in the midst of this world that we live in, like we've got these pictures of, we understand we live in this now period where it's this like... We're in the world, it's it's fallen still. We see glimpses of the, the not yet realities of God's goodness and perfection break into the now, but it's not the full-on new heavens, new earth reality for us yeah. yet. And we understand that and there's a part where we're okay with it. It just doesn't make it any less painful. We know that this is not, the world as it is, is not God's intention for the world. This is not how it was meant to be. Yeah. This is not how we were created to be. This is not how things were meant to function. And to be honest, if we think we're not okay with that, God's even less okay with that. Mm. He's he's even more like, um, you know, this is distraught not my plan. by that. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, so much so that he sent his son, right? And to start this whole thing and that his son will return one day, all of this stuff, like to start this whole thing, to redeem this world, to redeem us. So... Don't try and understand it if you're out there <laughs> because you're not going to understand it. You're not going to understand suffering. Well, right? it's not as much don't, you know, not try and understand it. It's about wrestling with a topic, I think. Mm. It's about wrestling with something. And I think whenever you go through suffering, whenever you go through difficult times, it very much is that. It's a wrestle. Mm. It's a wrestle where through it, you're probably not satisfied. Like, how could you be satisfied? But I think you'd, you'd have a real problem with it's like, it's okay, I don't believe that God did this to me. If something sure. ever happened to my kids, yes, I would okay, never good. attribute it and, to and God. And that, that, that would be incorrect theology yeah. if people were blaming God for those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the first funeral I went to, I heard uh, the two sons of the father that had passed away when they were like 10 years old mm. just swearing at God in the side room. Mm. And how can I blame them? Mm. Like that would be my response to losing my father at that age as well. Yeah, That's yeah. a terrible thing. That should not happen. Yeah. Um, and people do blame God for these things. Uh, but I guess that wouldn't be our, it's not like we are, yeah, putting the blame on God. This is, if you think we're not okay with that, he's even less okay with that. Mm. This is not his design for the world. Mm. This is not how God would see this world take place. This is the realities of a fallen world. And, um, yeah, it's, it's the context we live in, unfortunately. So in the end of the story, let's go to the end of the story because we need to pick me up here. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> let's just read the last chapter. Let me, let me get to the last bit because I think anyone, no, my friend, I had a friend that it's new Christian. Yeah. The first book of the Bible that he started reading. It was not Job. It was Job. Oh I'm like, oh, jeez. Why did you tell him to do that? I didn't tell him to do it. He just did it by himself. Yeah, it's just the it's the book. He's like, I'm, I feel called to this book. <laughs> and by the end of it, I don't feel called to this book anymore. <laughs> I'm just like, there are better places to start than yeah, that. Yeah. Song of Songs. <laughs> Keep it in the wisdom literature. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so the conclusion, the Lord blessed Job. Blesses Job. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, 
he said to Eliphaz, the Tamanite, the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends. You have spoken inaccurately about me as my servant Job has. So take seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite did as the Lord commanded them and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Then all his brothers and sisters and former friends came and feasted with him in his home. And they consoled him and comforted him because of the trials the Lord had brought against him. And each of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. Very nice. So the Lord blesses Job in the second half of his life more than in the beginning. Uh, for now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels. And so on. Maybe we jump forward to verse yeah, 16. so much. 16, okay. Job lived 140 years after that. Good to know. Uh, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died an old man who would live full, a full and long life. Yeah, I don't actually think that's the Lord speaking and what the Lord said in there. I believe that's a literary construct of the Lord's voice in there to prove a point within this thought experiment. I'll just chuck that one. <laughs> so Anyone else had a problem eyes. with that? <laughs> Did Job actually live 140 years uh, after that? Oh, well, if you look at the Lord's voice, what does he do? He's rebuking the friends for their incorrect theology. It's bringing around this understanding that that way of thinking, that retributive justice, that way of thinking, uh, good and then good things happen to you or live bad and bad things happen to you. It's it's rebuking that style of thinking there and it's... um. Yeah, I mean, it is bringing about a happy, happy ending in in the narrative there. Do but you think that he could have said that? Sure, why not? <laughs> so you're not against it actually being no, what it no, says. No, no, I, I am. I am just being devil's advocate, not <laughs> to speak about the devil because we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> However, Sean, there is something that we have not touched on yet, and we are going to end here. Oh goodness. <laughs> do you know is what it, it is? Where is it? Do you know what it is? Oh yes, I do. I uh, know. I know. Of course. How so could we forget? What is it? Uh, behemoth, Leviathan, Behemoth, <laughs> Behemoth. Come yeah, we'll on. call it Behemoth. Come on, nice, please. And Leviathan. Yeah. What okay. are they? I honestly don't know. I feel like I knew at the start of the week, and now I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> um, How much okay, did you so go you, searching all right, for this? So, all right, so I think Sorry, Sean's panicked now because his phone has just phone has turned just off involuntary. He's oh lost all of goodness. his notes. And he said at the start of the week, he thought he knew. When his notes were open, he thought he knew. No, no, now no, no, he has no, no. idea. I've got a theory for you. I've all always right. got a theory for you out there, guys. Is don't it related to the water vapor this canopy? This is a little bit... Potentially off the wall. Are you um, going to speak about UFOs? No. Excellent. Okay. So if we look at if we look at Behemoth, I actually had so many notes on this. Okay, yeah. Behemoth. Your phone's up back. And we've again, got by the way. Leviathan, <laughs> which yes. is the one with a big tail. <laughs> <laughs> Leviathan is the snake-like one. Okay, the, the one with stuff. smoke coming out of his nose. The, which one's that? The, That's Leviathan. The, the fire mouth one. Yeah. The fire mouth one. Okay, cool. <laughs> I think they were like, look, maybe they're literal. Maybe they're literal animals. Okay. They could be extinct animals. Okay. 
my hunch would be that they were dinosaurs, or at least one of them was a dinosaur. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> we got a well, dino okay, mention. Okay, okay, we okay. got a dino. We need a dino buzzer, like noise, sound effect, or something. I told you that mentioning dinosaurs in every episode is yeah. seriously one of my goals here. Okay, but so the time frame, the time frame, suffering. How did we get it in there? time? Time frame of of Job is yep. after Noah, before Abraham. So this is okay. I've already told you, and go back and listen what what I think about dinosaurs on the art. I absolutely believe they're in there, but you have to go and check out the whole episode for more information. No, Don't believe it for yourself. No, they wouldn't have been full-size animals. <laughs> <laughs> Dummies. <laughs> um, they would have been smaller, obviously, okay. to Ta- because it just dinos. makes sense. There would have been tiny dinosaurs, yep. but... Um, they would have been adolescent dinosaurs. They obviously wouldn't have been full size. Um, so, and I've already told you about the ancient yep. pictures and the yep. ancient cave drawings. I remember. And how you see dinosaurs living the alongside and the mangoes. How I've, I I've, I've, I've obviously told you how dangerous that they are. They, they would have been living around <laughs> the humans. Hazard. The hazard they are. <laughs> So, right. so I you're think setting it, the scene beautifully. Di- I think it could have been a dinosaur. I also think it could have been uh, it, speaking to something prophetically as well. Okay. I, my personal take is, is this idea of like, because Leviathan is also used in other texts at the time as well, non-Israelite thoughts as this crazy sort of creature that uses all these different themes and different parts of creatures to describe what it is. Some people try to say that Leviathan, crocodile, behemoth, um, hippopotamus. I don't think it's that at all. No. I think it's these ideas of these fantastic, wild, crazy pictures. To be honest, like we kind of see in other sections within scripture as well, when they're using this fantastic imagery to talk of these beasts, like we see in Daniel, all of this stuff, that is pretty much giving this idea that points back to the grandeur of or the grandeur of of Yahweh in terms of he is the creator and he can tame all of these beasts. And I, I've heard people suggest that these are viewed as almost these chaos creatures, like this the epitome of these crazy beasts that could exist. They don't actually exist, but they exist in the thought of this is the wildest of the wildest that could exist. And therefore, even these things that we think are so out of like our minds, Yahweh controls them. He created them, yeah. So Yahweh's a boss, yeah, beca- and they are not <laughs> because it's like it's it's in. So these the Job chapter forty and Job chapter forty one is where you can find the information about yep. uh, Leviathan and Behemoth. And I mean, God does give an like a kind of virtual tour of His creation, and He does reference different animals. Um, I think mountain goats, um, ostrich, like the like literal animals that we all understand. But then He goes on about these two different animals that, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot longer than all the other animals. So in that sense, people could think that you're talking about a real animal. So this, this is Job 41, 18. His sneezings flash forth light. His eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lights. Uh, sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke goes out of his nostrils, right? So that sounds like it's talking about a dragon, like what we would understand a modern day dragon, yes. right? Which definitely could have potentially existed. We don't know. We don't know. And if they did exist, let me tell you, people would be getting rid of them as soon as possible. That sounds terrible. Do you know that there are some insects that can breathe fire as well? Tell me more. (laughs) Google it. You can Google Google that one for yourselves. Google it. Um, Behemoth. This this was a land creature. This is the one that refers to potentially like a dinosaur. So look now at the behemoth, which I made along with you. He eats the grass like an ox. 
see now his strength is in his hips and his power <laughs> is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar. His, the sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. His bones are like beams of bronze. His ribs are like bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God. Who knows what that means? He's the first of the ways of God. Yeah. Only he who made him can bring near his sword. So we're talking about something I don't think, I don't, no. definitely don't think it's a hippo. I think if you're going like <laughs> tails, yeah. his tail is like a cedar. Yeah. An elephant's tail is tiny. Yeah. Hippo's tails are small. Mastodon's on the other. <laughs> Mastodon. That's the, that's the creature. That's an that's a impressive did it say, animal. Did it say it has mangoes in its stomach? No, but it does talk about the storehouses of ice. Oh, there you go. So, <laughs> wow. I mean, what a way to end the book of Job by talking about behemoth and leviathan. Lucky we saved that for the end because we oh. really got into the weeds with suffering, didn't we? We did. And it was... Suffering's, suffering's not a... The, a fun topic, is it? No, it's we a, we were chewing the cud. Yeah, we were. <laughs> but then, like, just the resurgence in both of our spirits when we started talking about dinosaurs. It really does lift it. You can feel something in the air, in the atmosphere. Something just lifts. When the dino chat comes <laughs> But that is it. That is it, Sean. That is it. That's, that, it's been a thank you for joining us. Thank you for um, listening through that. And through we hope rampies. that it challenged you too, as yeah. much as it challenged us. We hope you learned something. I'm, I'm, I, I enjoyed that chat. I wasn't sure how we'd go going into it. But yeah, um, yeah and I enjoyed hearing your thoughts on the book of Job. And um, we've got our final episode coming up. Final episode? Yeah, fifth and final episode for season one, Scholar of the Hack. So make sure you're tuning in next time. It's yes. been a pleasure, Sean. It's been great. Thank you very much. Hopefully next time will be a lighter topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, sh- I'm sure it will be. Uh, topic TBC. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it first. Here we go. Skull and Thanks for joining us. See you guys.